Okay. All right. Good morning. This is the English Sunday School class for Young Sun Baptist Church on July 9th. And we are uh, today going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to consider uh, the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. But let's begin by reading from Acts chapter 2. So take your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to read verses 16 to 21. Of course, a well-known passage from um, the day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit had done a mighty work that day, and uh, people heard the gospel message in multiple languages from people that had never learned that language. And uh, then Peter uh, the, is interpreting it for them because they were saying, "What you know, are these men drunk?" And so Acts chapter two, beginning at verse sixteen. Uh, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I shall... I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this uh, is, according to uh, Peter, this is uh, uh, something that was foretold by the prophet Joel. So let's turn over to Joel. verses 28 to 32. <clears throat> Joel 2, beginning at verse 28. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in heavens and in earth, blood, the fire, pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So, uh, this sermon by Peter on Acts chapter 2 is justification for the tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, as you study this passage, you're going to notice that nowhere in that passage in Acts chapter 2 does the Scripture say that what had happened then would ever be repeated. It, it never says that this is going to, to happen again. So I think... That convinces me, at least, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost was a singular event in history. And it isn't something that uh, people should uh, seek to replicate 
or expect will be replicated uh, afterwards. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is, is obviously much more than what we're going to get into today. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit uh, is connected uh, with the Old Testament, the, the reference of being to the prophet Joel. And so Peter, Peter uh, makes that connection and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's doing that through divine inspiration, so we know that it's true. Uh, do you know when Joel prophesied? Yeah. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I, I knew basically when, but I, I had to look it up a little bit myself. I knew that Joel was a pre-exilic prophet. That is, he, he exercised his ministry before the Babylonian captivity, but I wasn't quite sure, uh, you know, what exact period of time, but uh, the book of Joel was, was almost certainly written about 835 B.C., and that would have made him contemporaneous. He was a prophet of Judah, but that would have made him famous with a uh, or contemporaneous with a much more famous prophet of Israel, Elisha. So Joel in Judah and Elisha in Israel were uh, exercised their ministry at about the same time. And uh, uh, many of the Old Testament prophets spoke of what the Holy Spirit was going to do in that future day that is spoken of so often as the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and I don't want to get into the whole day of the Lord because that is that's a vast subject itself. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period of time. It's it's in fact a really the day of the Lord. We could say begins at the rapture of believers and it continues on until the great white throne judgment. So that's a period encompassing well over a thousand years. But what the Holy Spirit um, uh, did in the Old Testament time, uh, I, I say that because the, the Holy Spirit is, there, all these things talk about what the Holy Spirit was going to do. He's going to come upon young men and handmaidens, young women, they're going to prophesy, and that's all going to take place during the day of the Lord. But what the Holy Spirit did before then in the Old Testament is significant as well. And I think it uh, has... Uh, it's something that we shouldn't be ignorant about because there are plenty of people in Christianity that misuse what the Bible says, particularly about the Holy Spirit and His operations in the Old Testament. So um, a whole segments of, of Christianity today are very interested in what the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament because they hope to be able to find in it uh, justification for what they're trying to do or what they're claiming to do today. So uh, if you read a book about the Holy Spirit of God today, um, you're going to find that virtually every scripture that's mentioned in that book is probably going to come from the New Testament. And yet, if you take out a concordance, uh, which is something that I did a while ago, and uh, you look up Holy Spirit, or Spirit, where it's in reference to the Holy Spirit of God, uh, in the New Testament, 
you'll find that the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned 97 times. Anybody have any idea how many times the Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament? What do you think, more or less? Yes. More. more. 261 times. So quite a few times more. Uh, almost, uh, almost three times, uh, in fact. So whenever it does happen that the uh, some Christian writer or teacher uses some Old Testament passage to explain a work of the of the Spirit, it is often to try and stress an erroneous doctrine. Uh, for example, the charismatic churches in particular, they look for Old Testament proof texts for false doctrines like speaking in unknown tongues or for believers losing their salvation or for having some sort of ecstatic experience, even if it doesn't involve speaking in tongues, something they call it being slain in the spirit, something like that. And uh, uh, so we'll, we'll try to touch upon uh, most of those things today. But to, to it, uh, I think it's, we understand, it's, it's commonly taught, that uh, in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit of God would come upon people at various times and then would later leave those people. And uh, that, that happened when they sinned. And uh, by this, uh, by this, they supposed that sinning Old Testament believers uh, could be left without the presence of God in their life, and and they use that as uh, as a uh, that's how uh, Church of Christ and various Nazarene and Pentecostal churches uh, will will attempt to support the idea that it's possible to lose your salvation. Uh, but in this present dispensation, uh, God's Spirit continuously indwells believers even if they sin against God. And so uh, the New Testament does teach, of course, that the Holy Spirit of God permanently indwells all individuals that have been born again. But it's also true that the Old Testament does describe uh, certain individuals like King Saul in particular, uh, who for a period of time uh, had the Holy Spirit of God come upon them, but then later the Spirit departed from them. Uh, but it is incorrect to relate that coming on and departing of the Spirit in relation to salvation or to the eternal security of a believer. And uh, so uh, we want to understand why that is. Now, in, in each case uh, of this nature in the Old Testament, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in that individual concerned God equipping them for some kind of service. Good morning. And it had nothing to do with spiritual regeneration. And uh, so we're going to talk about uh, really three different areas of the Holy Spirit. But uh, individuals from all time, let me just before we get into that, let me, let me say this. Individuals from all ages of time that have been saved were all saved by God's grace received through faith in the promises of God. And that is the only way anyone has ever been saved. Uh, the Bible teaches that Abraham believed God it was counted for righteousness. The Bible teaches that Noah 
found grace in the eyes of God. And so, that nobody in the Old Testament, like in the New Testament, is said to be saved or born again. But they were believers. They were saints of God. And in fact, the, the book of Hebrews uh, gives a whole list of them that were champions of faith and heroes of faith. And so, uh, clearly people were saved in the Old Testament. And uh, if they were saved, they were saved by grace, through faith, without works. And uh, that's what we've been stressing in our study in the book of Romans on Wednesday evenings. And uh, so, uh, I want us today, though, to take a little bit of time to examine what the work of the Holy Spirit of God was in the Old Testament specifically. And as we go forward in this study, uh, we're going we're gonna to then be able to see the Spirit's work in the believer's life today. That'll probably happen after the Hubbards have taken their leave and, and moved on, and uh, we'll miss them. But, uh, but first we need to, I think we need to see how God worked among believers in earlier times so that uh, we can provide good answers to those who are confused because Trust me, there are plenty of people in this country that are confused about the work of the Holy Spirit. And there are some very persuasive wolves all dressed up nicely in cheap clothing. Or there are just people who are blown about by every wind of doctrine. And so it's important that we understand these things. So, first of all, I want us to consider the Holy Spirit's work in creation. The Holy Spirit's work in creation. Um, uh, go to Genesis. Right there in the beginning, chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So, uh, right here in the beginning, the Spirit of God is prominent in creation. And bear in mind that verse 26 of chapter 1 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the only logical way to explain the use of the plural pronoun in the inspired text is by understanding that one God exists in three persons. The triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And... Uh, to our neighbors next door, not one of those persons is ever referred to with the feminine gender. And uh, they're, they're just uh, really, you know, when you see mentioned in the Old Testament times about uh, Astarte, the Queen of Heaven, and uh, that whole Baal cult, that's, that's, that business next door is just Bail with uh, you know new clothes, but that's really what it's about. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll go on. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the thought here is is that the Holy Spirit of God fluttered like a dove or a hen over the yet unfinished, formless world, and so brought order to chaos. And the Hebrew words 
are the same ones that are used in Deut Deuteronomy 32.11 as the eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth broad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So God, using only his word, created the world ex nihilo, that means out of nothing, except his spoken word. And then the Spirit of God brought order and design, perfect design, to that which God's Word had created. And other parts of the Bible teach the same truth. In Job 26 and 13, it says, uh, By his Spirit he hath garnished the heavens. And Isaiah 40 and verses 12 and 13 read, who hath measured the water in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of God, or being his counselor, hath taught him. So these verses and others indicate that the Spirit's role or function in creation involved bringing about order and design in a spectacular and beautiful way. And based upon what the Bible says regarding the Holy Spirit and creation, we should be very hesitant to attribute anything to the Spirit of God that is characterized by disorder and confusion. Now I know that, you know, you're all ladies here today, but that's still worth an amen or two. How many of you, anybody ever been in the in a charismatic worship service? Krista has. Would you say that it was characterized by order and beautiful uh, design? Uh, frankly, I've been in some Baptist church services that left me scratching my head saying, what a mess. Um, I, I, I am very convinced that we should be hesitant to attribute anything to the Holy Spirit of God that is characterized by disorder and by confusion. God always works in a beautiful and orderly way. And He never works in a bizarre fashion. He never works in a disorderly way. He didn't do it in creation, and He doesn't do it now either. And uh, it's amazing to me the chaos that gets attributed to the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, Baptist preachers can be terrible. I think it's, frankly, it, 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 it's taking God's name in vain, uh, you know, when, <laughs> when people do things that are disorderly and then say, well, the Spirit led me to do this. No, I'm not sure it was the Spirit of God that led you to do that. So, um, just this isn't an exhaustive foray into the Spirit's role in creation. But if there's one lesson I think that we can learn from the Spirit's role in creation, it is that the Spirit will always bring order and perfection, not, not, uh, not disorder. There's a second uh, operation of the Spirit in the Old Testament I want us to get into today, and that is the Holy Spirit's work in equipping. Equipping. Um, the Holy Spirit of God equips believers in order to accomplish the will of God. And that makes sense, because we're sinful creatures. 
we don't possess what it takes to do the will of God. In and of ourselves, we can't do it. Not one of us can. And so uh, that needs to be pointed out immediately. Now, not all of the people that the Holy Spirit came upon them in the Old Testament, not all of those people were believers. God sometimes would come upon an unbeliever. Maybe it's because he looked for a man to stand in the gap and fill in the hedge and found none. And so, so God used an unbeliever to get his will accomplished. But uh, God, God, God often uses unbelievers to do his will. N name me an Old Testament person that the Spirit of God came upon them and they almost certainly weren't saved. Because I know that you all know at least a couple of them. And they're mentioned in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar is good. Now, there is some debate about whether or not Nebuchadnezzar actually got saved at the end of his life after his, uh, after his uh, you know, seven-year period of in insanity. It's possible he may have gotten saved then, but certainly he was unsaved when the Holy Spirit of God used him initially as instrument of judgment upon Israel for their sin. Uh, but there's two that almost certainly died and went to hell, and, and God's Spirit came upon them. And the prophets do that sometimes. You're, she, he said a prophet, mm -hmm. and one of them is, the Bible calls him a prophet. I'll give you a hint, he had a donkey. <laughs> Balaam, yeah. And the other one was a king. Cyrus. Cyrus, the king of the Persian Empire, the man who was written of by name 140 years before his birth by the prophet Isaiah. And those two guys were certainly, well, in, in all likelihood, neither one of them was a believer. But God's Spirit came upon them. So, some well-meaning uh, Bible teachers have stressed that the Holy Spirit of God uh, did not permanently indwell Old Testament saints. Um, that raises a significant question. How is anyone able to remain a child of God if they're not permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? So, if the Holy Spirit of God were to depart from a believer in the Old Testament times, would they still be saved? And so, um, if, if bad actions cause the Spirit to depart from an individual, the only logical conclusion then is that, uh, that, that they were at, at, at the very least kept saved by good works. However, However, that's at odds with so many passages of Scripture that teach salvation is not of works of righteousness. The whole point of the first five chapters of the book of Romans is to show that even in the Old Testament times, the example of Abraham is given, salvation was not by works. And so that can't be true. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God coming on these individuals uh, is... Uh, going to identify, we're going to identify and note that the work done uh, by the empowering in, in, the, in each case, it had nothing to do with salvation. 
there, there are, in fact, uh, as I studied this in the past, it, it seems to me anyways that there are four general categories of people upon whom the Holy Spirit of God is said in the Bible to have come upon them. And the first is the judges, the men who are the judges. And so you can, you can go and read about the Spirit coming upon Gideon and the Spirit coming upon uh, um, Samson and so forth. And the empowerment in each of these cases involved unusual physical strength and the ability to fight. And in no case does Scripture indicate that it involved spiritual salvation being received. Uh, uh, scripture uh, never, never hints at that. Then the next group uh, are craftsmen. And we can see that in Exodus and, and also in First Chronicles uh, chapter 28. These men uh, were given uh, a gift to be able to do uh, exceedingly special work in the creation of the tabernacle and all of its all of its furniture and all of its its instruments and so the Spirit of God enabled them to accomplish those activities exactly according to the will of God the third group then was the prophets <clears throat> some of the prophets seemed to serve only temporarily there were a few uh, prophets that <clears throat> God came upon them and they spoke the message but they weren't a full-time uh, prophet Others uh, served God permanently as prophets, like Elijah and Elisha, and so forth. And uh, certainly the work that those prophets did was spiritual in nature because they were dealing with the Word of God. But even Balaam, when Balaam spoke prophecy, he was speaking the Word of God. But the empowering, when the Holy Spirit of God empowered them, that did not cause them to have an inward change of heart. It didn't regenerate them. They didn't become born again. They merely received a message from God and were responsible to deliver it to the appropriate audience. And so their empowerment didn't bring about uh, a new right relationship with God if they didn't have one before. In Balaam's case, I think it was very doubtful that he was ever a genuine believer, uh, but God, God in His grace nevertheless allowed him to be able to to give forth the Word of God. And uh, so then the final group is uh, civil leaders. Uh, that would be the case like Saul. Each, uh, in each case that God enabled men upon whom the Spirit came uh, to be effective leaders and administrators over His people. And uh, their feelings were for an area of service. And no scripture ever indicates that the feeling pertained to their personal relationship with God. And uh, so, now let's, uh, we got about three or four minutes left here, let's try to quickly talk about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. Uh, nowhere in the Bible do we read that someone was spiritually saved or lost in the Old Testament. But, uh, and, and because of that, that's led some rather well-known and respected uh, uh, theologians, not of this age, but maybe a generation or two ago, like Lewis Berry Schaefer and some other dispensationalist uh, um, uh, theologians to conclude that it's impossible to know if any Old Testament figures were actually regenerated or not. And to which I say, 
baloney. <laughs> because I can turn to Genesis, or I mean Hebrews chapter 11, and I can read about all these people in the Old Testament that God says were people of faith. And uh, that's good enough for me. Um, but uh, certain Old Testament individuals, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, J Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and so forth, Daniel, were spoken of in such a way that we may confidently assume that they possess saving faith. A second, we can apply the New Testament truth backwards by means of logical deduction. So the New Testament teaches all men are sinners. And we know that those great Old Testament patriarchs were therefore also born in sin. And they needed to be saved, just as each of us needed salvation at one time. And Romans 4, 3 tells us that Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. Therefore, any person who was saved in the Old Testament times was saved by their faith. And they, they didn't possess all the truth that we now have. Their faith was in what God had revealed to them through his word. And that was the basis for their salvation, just as it is also the basis for our salvation. We have more of his word than they have, but it is still our faith in what he said that, that matters. So, if Old Testament saints were saved just as we're saved, then why is it not stated so in Scripture? <clears throat> why are they not said to have been regenerated or indwelt or sealed by the Holy Spirit? And the only answer is that God, according to His sovereign will, saw fit in progressive revelation to reveal the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit in salvation in the New Testament. And God doesn't always give us the answers we want in our time. Sometimes He does it in His time. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit was first illustrated in the lives of those Old Testament saints and then later declared in writing in the New Testament. And so uh, this is true not just of the doctrines of the Holy Spirit of God, but of many other doctrines as well. They were first illustrated in the Old Testament and then they were given in, in uh, uh, doctrine in the New Testament. So uh, just... Quickly, one other thing, the Holy Spirit in uh, prophetic utterance, uh, there's a lot of uh, charismatics, they love to take passages where Paul prophesied and, you know, where he just let, met a group of prophets as he was going and he started prophesying and they just, they just got themselves in some sort of a static fit and, and uh, you know, kept going until until evening, but uh, there's, there's uh, other ways, <laughs> the, the word um, a prophesy, like the word prophet, there are more than one word for that in the Hebrew language, and there are more than one meaning, and uh, very often the word prophesy simply means to praise, that's all, it means to praise, and uh, in the case of Saul, Saul was met a company of prophets. The text of Scripture notes that they had with them certain musical instruments. And, uh, and, and what happened is, is not that he went into some ecstatic fit, but rather the Spirit came upon him and they all began to praise God. And they kept on praising God. And their praising God made other people nervous. And that will happen. 
that will happen now when people are praising God, when they are, when 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 they fall totally in love with God, and uh, and they start singing from the heart. It makes other people nervous, and other people have have difficulty and trouble understanding that. And so, uh, that's that's the case I think in Sam, 1 Samuel, I guess chapter ten with 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 Saul, and uh, it doesn't provide any justification for the notion about speaking in tongues or static fits or being slain in the spirit like that. And uh, so everything that we do as, as Christians should have the support of Scripture without Scripture being twisted to, to support it. And uh, uh, if, if the Bible or if our preconceived ideas and doctrines don't fit the Bible, then we need to change. And uh, in order to properly understand the Holy Spirit of God, we need our whole Bible. That's why I uh, am a very <coughs> uh, cautious of, of about certain dispensationalists that want to make the Old Testament scriptures uh, useless, irrelevant for Christian Gentile believers in this, in this uh, church age. Uh, be very wary of anybody who starts telling you that the Old Testament or even the Gospels on, uh, are, are somebody else's mail. Uh, that is poison. That is poison. And uh, there are a, a lot of people doing that, even independent fundamental Baptists. And uh, a lot of them are, you know, as Q 